there was a error with the recording software, so the introduction to the first show is cut off, but none of the content is cut off. This weekend, he's been doing a phenomenal job. I was board offing one of his games. I was super engaged, and it wasn't even a cougar game. Can you imagine that? Being involved, being engaged, and wanting to know the outcome of a basketball game that you don't care about? Well, that's what Matthew did. So he'll be back. We'll be back the week after next because it's spring break and no students are on campus. So let's start off with women's basketball. They had a defeated, a heartbreaking loss to the number three, rate, number six ranked team in the nation, or the Oregon State Beavers. They lost by 20, 30. It was a bad blowout. It's not really, the score isn't really what matters. The score is we have to say, what is important is we have to talk about the growth the team showed. They had lots of youth. There are players who did not have prominent roles with the last year's coach, with Cammie Etheridge, was developing her team. She leaned primarily on the older scores their first year, and then she allowed the younger scores and the new players to blossom and grow. And now we have to say goodbye to two Cougar legends. Bobby Buckets, the fifth-year senior who is the all-time leading scorer at WSU in any basketball sport, men's or women's. And then Shalil Molina, the sister of the two other point guards that we have on the roster. Brilliant scores. They, they've put their heart and soul into this basketball team. They gave 110%. One of them took another year in college to get our team over the hump. Sadly, they never experienced any postseason play. It's a bummer because they did everything they could. Chalel Molina is a crafty point guard who's on the shorter end, might not have a future in the WNBA, but I think Bobby Buckets definitely has a future in the WNBA. She's the all-time leading scorer at WSU. She's crafty. She can get a double-double. She puts up 29 points a game. That's pretty impressive. Not on average, but she can score. And she's also 11th all-time in Pac-12 scoring. Now, the Pac-12 might not be the best basketball conference for men's, but it definitely is not a slouch when it comes to women's sports. It's fantastic. You can't beat it. Now, they did end the season 11-20, and 20, so it was a very poor showing record-wise, but they did beat the Huskies, and that's all you can really ask for. If you beat the Huskies, it's a great season. That's all that matters. Now, let's just give them a round of applause for their great careers, storied careers. Honestly, I think both their numbers should be retired, but let's transition now into basketball. Now, the first story I want to cover is senior night. And I know that was two weeks ago, and it was against Cal. It seems kind of pointless, and it's old news. Yes, it might be old news, but we do have to give props to the seniors who work their tail off. Jeff Pollard and Dervay Robinson, those guys embody what it means to be a Coug. They might not put up the biggest points, but they help their team win day in and day out. Let's talk about Jeff Pollard for a second. He... For his first three years, was coached under Ernie Kent. Not the most popular coach, but he did it. He was coached. He played well. He was a grinder. Did whatever he needed to do to help the team win. But then, after Ernie Kent was let go, we find out that Kyle Smith is coming in. Now, we know nothing about Kyle Smith. He from the University of San Francisco. Mid-major school, wins 30, usually wins 30 games, gets bounced in the first round of their tournament. 
So Jeff Pollard said, I have the opportunity to transfer. So he entered the transfer portal, tried out a couple schools, and then realized, I'm a cougar. I can't leave. This is me. I embody what it means to be a cougar. And he showed that in his last game against Cal. It didn't end in a win, but he was fighting for rebounds. He was setting hard screens. He shot effectively from three, and he just did whatever he needed to do to get the win. Now, let's go over to Gervais Robinson. Now, if you look at his numbers, you go, what, this guy averages five points? How is he a starter? What? It's an obvious answer. He's a great defensive. He locks people up defensively. You can't do anything better than him. And he was a community college transfer from Texas. So, is he really a cougar? Yes, he is. He, what he, so I was in the press conference after the game, and I asked, so what does it mean for you to be a cougar? And he said, well, for me, coming to Washington State from community college taught me how to be a man. It taught me what it means to be a man, and I'll never forget that. Then, you transitioned to Pollard, and I think Pollard, the mayor of Pullman, as he's been referred to, put summed up what it means to be a coug for everyone who's not a coug right now. He said, so I'm from Utah, and I think Utah's my home, but I fell into the habit after my second or third year here when I went back to Utah saying, oh, I'm heading home soon. They go, what are you talking about? You're in Utah. No, I'm going back to Pullman. He exclusively referred to Pullman at his home. Now, I think that embodies what it means to be a coug. Now, that's pretty impressive. And Gervais, senior night, scored a career high, didn't end in a win, but it was a very beautiful moment because they all, they just ended how you wanted, you ended your home's career how you would want to go out, giving it 100%. And then there's a beautiful moment at the end of the game where Gervais and Pollard both, at the end of the game, lay down, do a plank on the hardwood floor, and kiss the court, just like Clay Thompson did at his jersey retirement. It was pretty powerful. People removed the tears in the audience. But we need to move on to the more positive, upbeat news. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. We swept the Huskies. Two games. Thank you, Kyle Smith. That's what we need to do. We destroyed them. Now. I'm going to invite my friend Ian, who is a self-proclaimed basketball expert, as you know, to talk about the Huskies, and we're going to hear his takes on how he thought the Cougars played against both games. Now, let me introduce him. This is my good friend Ian Campbell. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Walker. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So let me ask you this. Did you ever think it was possible we would sweep the Huskies? You know, going into this season, it didn't look good. But I think every player on our team played to their full potential this season. For, like who? Tell me who do you think. Well, I like our freshman class. Noah Williams basically turned himself in from a rotation, a low rotation guy to a starter. He got a better offensive game, good passer, very athletic too. Other, other freshmen too, like DJ, 3 and D guy. Love guys that can play multiple positions. Just pretty much everyone on the team played better than I think people would have expected. Now, what? How do you see? If you could describe Noah Williams' game for someone who doesn't watch it, how would you describe it? Well, I mean, he averages what six, seven points a game, yeah, right? He's not a high. He, he's not a high scorer, but I think he takes good shots too. He also is a good teammate. Like I said, he can pass well. He can. They also play him at, at the three a lot, even though he's only about six three, six four. Now, which is 
for people who don't know basketball, why is that alarming or challenging? Why is that weird? Well, because we start three guards, which is not super common. So, but he's a taller guard, but he basically is playing guys that are a lot taller than him. So it's, it's a lot harder to score on someone or, or guard someone when they're a lot taller than you. They have a big size advantage. Now, so I think that he's able to do that as a because he's, he's his traditional position is a point guard, but he hasn't really been playing that here. So, would you say playing three guards would be more beneficial when you're going against a, a zone defense per se? Yeah, because I think the common thing you do against like a two-three zone is dish and drive. Is now, that, I don't know. You think you've heard that a lot? Yeah, I have. So, so when you have three guards out, they can obviously dish the ball pretty well. Now, so we beat the Huskies in their home gym against the reigning Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Yeah. Reigning, they have two five stars, couple four stars. How do you think? What do you think was the reason why? we were able to lock down the bigger five-star recruits like Isaiah Stewart, who doesn't look like a basketball player. He looks like a weightlifter. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. Honestly, I think, like I said, our guys are playing to their max potential. I mean, I didn't like look at how they were ranked really before the season, but I would just assume that they all, every single person on our team played better than they would have been expected to. Now I noticed in the game, one of the big difference makers was Tony Miller. Yeah. I think having a, because he's a power forward. He's, he's this power forward that's the height of like a two guard, but he he just plays so big. I, 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 love, I love that you could pretty much play him at any position pretty much. In the, maybe not one or two, but he could play a forward. He could play center. He, he can guard a lot of positions, which is good. He's another one of those guys that doesn't really put up big numbers, but he's a good defensive player. Now he put up 18 points. What do you think the reason was? Did he really? That? He put up, yeah, 18 points. I, I don't know, honestly. He's normally not. He must have. I mean, he gets a lot of putbacks, which is good, too, is what I've noticed. I've, I'm assuming it was mostly off of off of points in the paint. That that would be accurate. So you're saying yeah. we were able to expose the weaker inside, uh, what's it called, post game or in the paint. We were, so you, you're saying you think UW has a weak paint defense and just they can't stop. Well, not necessarily because they're a really big team. I think there's that night they did. Okay. So you heard it here first. First. Folks, Ian Campbell saying UW cannot defend the paint in that game. All right. Thank you. So what do you think of the storyline that it was just the local kids? I mean, CJ and Noah, both from Seattle, CJ, Cleveland High School and Noah Bishop O'Dow High School, both recruited by UW. Why would you choose WSU over UW to play basketball? I mean, UW has a better reputation, but I think, first of all, obviously, Clay Thompson kind of turned it around for us. I mean, NBA legend, arguably best shooter of all time. I think after that, a lot of more people wanted to play here. I think Kyle Smith has been really good. I think a lot of people, when they heard that he was going to be coaching here, that, that drew them to the school, too. Now, you preach defense, like you say, when you play yes, basketball. Yes, I do. But why do you think a defensive-minded coach could be able to recruit an offensive-minded player like Noah Williams? There's no no Williams. He plays defense too. I think right, but he when you look at him, you can see he wants to score. So he how does, do you entice him when you're a low? You're not an off. Your your game centers around offense, but Kyle Smith Kyle Smith preaches not turning the ball over and just focusing on defense. I think it's because Noah is his two as a two way player. I think that he was he since he's able to play defense too. It, it, he was fine playing for defensive team. Okay, and. So there was a chant going. I, I love this story. This makes me very happy. So when Noah was winning, when we were winning, UW started chanting, UW reject, UW reject. 
Now, even though he got the offer from UW. Yeah. The irony is, UW offered him first. She rejected them. So it was really, they should have been chanting Noah rejects then. Yeah. No, it's for true. That is exactly, that's a good point. No. Okay. So would you rather, this is where Noah, what Noah's, Noah's process was. He would rather play at University of Buffalo compared to UW. Do you, do you understand? Do you know that? Could you possibly guess as a reason for that? Um, I don't know. I think I heard one of his friends was playing at Buffalo. I have no idea, but I, I, I wouldn't understand the reasoning behind that. I'd have to ask him personally. And are you Buffalo is not a huge basketball school. Right. It isn't, of course. But, you know, I just got it. You got to give it up to the, the Cougars, man. They did upset the Huskies and it was great Both games. I know, man. You're excited in Beasley. That was awesome. Series sweep. You can't, you can't. Kyle Smith, you got to give it up to you, man. You were fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I like his coaching style. The no turn, I think the no turnover things really makes a difference. Because as someone who played basketball in high school, turning the ball over a lot, it gets to you. It, you, it gets to you. What is the mental, does it cause a mental fatigue? What's yeah, the it's, impact? It's the, the second worst thing. The thing that causes the most mental fatigue is points in the paint, I think. But just the second thing is probably turning the ball over because it's just like, there's, it's just really frustrating because it's just like you're giving them free buckets, basically. Because yeah. people that follow basketball know a lot of points are scored in transition. And it just, the chance of transition points just like goes way up when there's a turnover. Right, because you can't get back on yeah. defense and set up. Okay. All right. So this Thursday, the Cougars lost 83 to 62. But I want to say the game was a tale of two halves. We started off the game. We ended the first half 31 to 29. And we were winning in the first half, too, which is interesting. Yeah. So we had a good lead now. And then Arizona, Sean Miller, who is arguably one of the most uh, kind of a he's been accused of. He's been part of the FBI uh, bribery scandal with DeAndre Ayton and other things. Nothing has been confirmed yet. No accusations here. Not saying that, just giving more context to John as a coach. So I think, how do you think the Cougars will react? How do you think the that, players reacted when they heard that they went on a, that Arizona 20, went on a 26 time? run, right? 26-0 run. Yeah. How, how, do you, how would you react if you were Kyle Smith to that? I would not be happy because, well, first of all, I understand because Nick Mannion's on that team and he's probably a lottery pick. Nico so that, Mannion? Oh yeah, Nico Mannion, sorry. He is on that team and he's a very good offensive player. But 26-0 still unacceptable. Any coach, any basketball team, any level. So I think they, they had a very angry timeout and I think they're going to be practicing some defensive strategy at their next practice. You think they're running? Yeah. A lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're running? All right. Oh, it's, so, it's suicide down and back in seven second time. All right. That's how I am so grateful I'm not on the basketball <laughs> team for that. But what was interesting, I noticed in the game that when Nico Mannion was guarded by Gervais, he locked him up. Nico couldn't score. And then we had that situation in the in the second half. Like, I want to say 13 minutes in, Gervais gets his third or fourth foul. Then he has to go sit on the bench. What do you? What presence does Gervais bring? How do you think Gervais could lock down a lottery pick? I think he's just the best perimeter defender on the team. I mean, no. I'm just, I'm just because I'm a Celtics fan. You know that. Right. I'm just thinking like he's kind of like a Marcus Smart type, like where he he doesn't score that much. He doesn't put up big numbers, but he just locks up guards, and that's something because most of the time the leading scorer on a team is a guard, and that's just something that's valuable to have someone that can lock up a guard. I think. Like, Perimeter defense is really important, especially in basketball today where everybody just shoots threes the whole time. So 
So I was going to say, does he have a NBA comp to you, Gervais? Oh, I just said I, Marcus I see Smart. Him. Is there anything besides that? Like, I Just because it's a guy that if you look at his numbers, Marcus, this is Marcus Smart's best season. He's still only averaging 12 points a game. If you look at Gervais' number, you wouldn't understand, numbers, you wouldn't understand why he's such a good player. I think he's just, just like that, where you, you have to watch him play and see the defense he plays to understand why he's a good player. So his use to the team, his usefulness... Extends beyond the box score, you would say? Yeah. Okay. Interesting point. I think that's true with a lot of defensive players. Okay. So, we end the, we're at the last game of the season today, Ian, against the Wildcats, who bodied us last time yeah. at Pullman. They're Not a good, a good game. But, Jeff Pollard's injured. Probably won't play. How do you feel? You think they're going to start Martovetsky then? I... That, I don't know. I have Kyle Smith is Kyle last Smith's time, rotation last, still makes sense yeah, to me. The last game we started, uh, Tony Miller has like a has a small ball five, and I'm pretty sure he's like the same height as Noah Williams. So, but do you like Markovetsky right now? Um, I I think I'd like to see him develop more. I li- I like how he's a good rebounder. He he is seven one. He is seven one seven two, and he's a full seven one. He's not one of those seven one list heights. He is actually seven foot one. He's a he's a good rebounder, but he doesn't move well. Is what I've noticed. He's not very mobile. So you think? So what I'm hearing is we shouldn't start Markovetsky against ASU. You might have to just because. I don't know who their I forget who their center is. But. Uh, well, they don't play a traditional center. They usually play Remy Martin, who is second in the Pac twelve in scoring per game. And she puts up numbers. He averages about twenty points and gets may, about eight rebounds. So who do you? How do you? Stop? I may start Tony Miller just because he's a good defensive player. Now he, he, I know he's only like six five, but he plays a lot bigger. And have you seen his? He, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a seven foot wingspan even above that. He has long arms and he's physical too. Okay, so ASU has a. They're a lengthy team. How do you stop teams with length? I mean, it's tough because our center's out, but I think you just got to play physical. You just have to body play, them. Play physically is an important thing. Always have a hand on their hips is another good thing. Because your hips is the, are the one thing in basketball you can't lie with. What do you mean? Like, if you guard someone's hip, you can't really fake someone with your hips. You can, like, you can do a pump fake, or you can fake someone with your face, or you can, like, fake someone with your feet. It's hard to fake someone with your hips. So you can't manipulate how, they, how you look, how you, your appearance, with your hips. The hips is the only thing that actually... Will tell your opponent where you're gonna. Yeah, go. that's why. Whatever I had to guard a, a bigger opponent in the paint, I'd you always put a hand on the hips. So you know where they're. Oh, that's smart. Yep. So what you're telling me it is, helps. It helps a lot when you're when you're smaller than the guy you're guarding and he wants to post you up. Okay, so what we're here. What I'm hearing is Tony Miller, hand on the hips of Remy Martin, and boom, he can't score. Not he can't score, but it's just a good defensive strategy, I think. Okay, I'm, I'm all in favor of that, but with our center. Do you think Pollard will try and play last ever college game or potential? It's not his last ever college game because we have Pac-12 tournaments, the Pac-12 tournament. So he's guaranteed one more game mm-hmm. and then the college basketball invitational, which we could host. We could have a home yeah. game, home playoff game, which also raises a lot more questions about the quality of the college basketball invitational if we have a losing record. But that's another that's a story for later in the show. So. If you were Pollard, what would you do? I know you're not Pollard, yeah, I, and you're not answering for him, but what would you do if you are Pollard? It really depends on the severity of his injury, I think. I don't, I can't feel his pain or understand what his injury is. So. He sat out last uh, Thursday's game. Do you so know what is, the injury is? It's his, heart, his wrist was in a brace. Okay, then. 
it, it, it's probably unlikely if he was in a brace. Normally, a brace isn't for his brain. That's for broken or dislocated. So I'd it was, say it's unlikely. It was like a wrap strain. It wasn't a okay, well, immobilizer. It was just a don't. I'd say I'd wait and see. I think he wants to play because I know he loves being a coog. But like, but personally, I don't think he would. If it really is bothering him, I, I wouldn't risk really with a really bad injury. I wouldn't go in for one final game of the season. Well, because you still have Pac-12. Exactly. So I would. We would both argue. I would say that it's more important to play the Pac-12 tournament, especially since I think we're pretty much guaranteed to be in a nine or a ten seed at this point. Well, we could fall to the eleventh seed. Let's hope not. But we won't fall. No, we're probably will be a lock for nine or ten because yeah. UW is last and Oregon State is or Cal is one game ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So I would say that we have a good chance of. Yeah. Do you think we have a chance of beating anyone in the Pac-12? Who do you think our most favorable matchup? UW probably, just because we've beat them time and time, or Cal. Just we we beat them time and time again. UW does have the link though. I know we're not going to play UW because we're both low seeds. But I, I thought you, are you asking realistically or or just in a, any scenario? Who do you think our best matchup is? I would say UW or Cal. Cal probably Cal. What do you think? I don't think Cal because they beat us by twenty both times. But we're still a, a better team. I would say. Oh, so you're just going okay? So you think if we play? Oh, you Cal- mean you mean like matchup wise? Yeah. I don't know the other team's rosters quite well enough. Or I've just seen that we've. Beat UW, and I'm pretty sure one was a blowout, right? It was by ten, but it was oh, like okay. garbage time. It was yeah, it was it was like a, it was by ten, but it was over with a few minutes left, type of thing. Yeah, okay. I I actually do agree with you with Cal. I think if we're given one more shot at Cal, we're beating them. I think also what play, people a lot of people don't know when a team you're better than beats you, it makes you angry as a player. So there might be a little bit of resentment there. So they might come out and play a little harder against them too. So. The problem with WSU is we're very streaky, as you've pointed out, yes. and everyone's pointed out. It's, it's we're true. streaky. That's the how we have blown out teams better than us. We beat Oregon State, who's like what seventh ranked team in the country. Or, Oregon was Oregon, yeah, eighth ranked when we beat them. when we beat them, and then we go on a zero and twenty six run. So it's very clear that we're a streaky team. I think that's common among teams that shoot the three a lot. Now, how as a player do you overcome the challenge of being a streaky team? It's kind of tough. I mean, there's not really like an easy way you can just say, "Oh, we're just gonna we're just gonna go on a 10-0 scoring run and be consistently good throughout the game." I think you just what, what you do is a lot of basketball players, if they have like a more free flowing offense, they just say, "When when we go a long time without scoring, we're gonna do something easy or back to basics." So when I played a lot of time, I know it's different high school versus college basketball, but when I played a lot of time, we'd say, "Okay." We haven't scored in a few minutes. We're going to go to the pick and roll. We're going to try and get points in the paint or something easy just to see the ball go in the basket, get your confidence up. Then, okay, okay, now we can shoot the three ball again. So what I'm hearing is the best way to break out of a streaky slump would have to be just, we have to just, you have to design easy plays, get in a rhythm, and then you shoot your way out essentially. Something that you want to make, something that you think an easy shot. So like a, how would you, let's say, design a layup? How do you design a layup against... Well, it's just like, oh, this guy's going to cut to the basket after someone has to screen for him, okay, stuff so like that. Basic AS- plays to get a easy easy play. ASU plays in zone a lot. How do you expose the zone? Well, one thing, is it a 2-3 you mean? Uh, it's two big men in the paint and three guards in the wing. Oh, that's... that's I don't even... That doesn't sound like a 2-3 to me. Well, they, they don't play man-to-man. Okay. So, But a lot of zones, one thing, 
is that it's harder to rebound in a zone. So you can try and get offensive putbacks. But I mean, it's going to be tough when our one guy, we're probably going to be starting guys that are all 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". But the re- rebounding is tougher in a zone. So you can get offensive putbacks is one thing. So you're saying rebounding in a zone is harder for the zone the, players? Yes, for the zone. That's why... That's why a lot of teams don't go to zone simply just because they know they're going to get rebounded. And it's weird because ASU is last in the Pac-12 at rebounding. And they usually play zone? Yeah. That's your answer right there. I know, I, I was in a, my high school team played a lot of zone. We only could do it because we were tall. If you're not super tall, you can't zone. Zoning's bad because it's just it just hurts your rebounding so much. I don't know what it is. It's just so hard to rebound in a zone. Okay, so we know what to do. We have to out-rebound them. And I think also... Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just my take. I feel like we need to, we would, the best strategy would have to be just shoot the ball out. Shoot the lights out. We have to yeah. get the <laughs> rebound and actually start making threes. We yeah. can't have Isaac Bonton just chucking nah, up threes. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's clearly the second best option on the team, but I, he, he can be a bit selfish at times. I, I say there's an argument to be made. He's our most consistent player. He is very consistent, which I like. He is very consistent, but his shooting percentage isn't consistent. Yeah, no, he's he doesn't ever waver in his confidence or anything, which is good. But also, it's like, bro, you missed the last five threes. Maybe it's time to take a break. And then you go back thinking, did you ever did you ever play road games? I'm just wondering. No, in high school, you never played road. Well, games? I was at a college. Okay, so what do you think happens? I know you can't get in CJ's mind, but like, why do you think his numbers drop so much on the road? I honestly don't know. I mean, it's. I think basketball, though, for some reason, road games affect teams more than other sports, it seems like to me. Like, I know teams still lose less than, like, football or baseball on the road, but it seems like it affects it more in basketball. I've always, I don't know what it is. Like, I guess it's just you're used to playing on a certain court, maybe. I don't know. But I don't understand it as much because we always played our games at the same college every time, so everything was basically a home game. But his okay. numbers do. His numbers drop and his shooting percentage drop. If he played like he did at home... He could potentially be a lottery pick if he played like that on the road. Right. So let's transition to something. We're talking about the draft. And we're going to talk about the future of WSU basketball in a minute. But I want to get your opinion. So you you follow the draft for the NBA, yeah. you would say. What team do you think CJ would play best for? In an ideal scenario, don't think about their draft position. Just straight up, do you think he'd be good on what team? I'm thinking. I think he'd be good on a team that doesn't have a lot of offensive weapons. So he actually gets the ball in his hands and can score a lot. Like so, if I was him, I'd probably want to go to a team that isn't that good. So you're saying CJ has to be the guy. And he doesn't have to be the guy, but he ha- he can't be the twelfth guy because his 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 best ability on the court is scoring. He obviously can shoot, he can rebound, he's a really good player, but his number one ability is scoring. So I think he has to be on a team where he's allowed to score. All right. So let me give you a couple teams to run by. All right, so we have the Magic. Do you think you can play in the Magic? I think so. I don't think they're a super high-scoring team, right? No, they're not. Yeah, I think that'd be—I could I could see them fit there. It's just they do have a lot of forwards, though. They have uh, Aaron Gordon. They have uh, Isaac. They have—it they, is kind Mo of a forward-heavy team. Mobamba's a center. He's a pure center. 7-1, massive wingspan, pure center. Okay, uh, Houston Rockets. Uh, my least favorite team because they don't start a center. I don't think so. I don't like them there. They're too many offensive, too many offensive options already. Really? What? Okay. So what if I told you there were seven scouts at our last game against Cal, and the Houston Rockets were one of them? Really? Really? Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, I, personally, if I was on the Houston Rockets, I'd be looking for a center so they don't have to start P.J. Tucker, who's 6'4". But I don't know. I think they have basically the two most ball-dominant players in the NBA on the team already. So, What about the Bucks? I could see him on the Bucks. I mean, I'm assuming that he's not going to be starting on any of these teams right away. But Injuries, you don't know what happened. Yeah, I mean... I can see him more on the Bucks and the Rockets. I like the Magic best out of the out of all these teams. I. What do you think? Who do you see him on? I like him on the Bucks. I see him as yeah. a developmental player. He won't get in right away. I mean, I was a Bucks fan for a couple of years because I was a big fan of Malcolm Brogdon. You know what? I could see him like backing up Chris Middleton. Like, let's say Middleton plays thirty three minutes a game. He could be the guy that goes in when Chris Middleton isn't on the court because Chris Middleton's offensive minded wing. That's kind of what CJ is. CJ is an offensive athletic slasher who yeah. can shoot, but once he gets in a rhythm. Exactly, offensive-minded wing. So I could see him like being Chris Middleton's sub as the start of his career. Okay, I like that comp. Okay. Um, I mean, Chris Middleton's more of a shooter, but they're both offensive-minded two threes. Now, for people who don't know basketball, what's a two-three? Shooting guard or small forward. So he's a... I see he's, he plays small forward in the end here, but the NBA is taller. So I think he could play shooting guard too in the NBA. Okay, and uh, for shooting also, guard. I, I think their positions are pretty similar too. Okay, so shooting guard, they run next to the point guard. They don't take the ball up, and their goal is to shoot the ball and score, correct? I mean, yeah, I think the roles of positions are kind of going away and changing a lot too. But in, from my opinion, from what I've seen over the last few years, I think the shooting guard and small forward position are 98% the same thing. Honestly, if you look at a team like the Celtics, let's just get on comparing it because I'm a Celtics fan. Sure, sure. Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward are the two players. They're both technically small forwards. They have similar-ish play styles, but like I think the positions are kind of the same thing. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say they're interchangeable, but they're close to it. Now, would you say there is a... Do teams prefer one position over the other? Like, would you, let's say if you're a shooting guard, would that... Maybe make it more likely you'd uh, be set up financially better. Do they pay shooting guards more than small forwards? I'm not. I don't think so. You don't think so? I think also teams, different teams like different things. Like clearly the Rockets like guards. I know as a Celtics fan, Brad Stevens very much likes wings because we basically have a starting lineup of only wings besides Kemba Walker. So I think different coaches like different things. Okay. But it's not like the entire NBA says I hate power forwards. That's a that's a fair point. Okay, so we're gonna take a we're gonna transition into the future of Cougar basketball. So I have a I have an envision I envision the roster looking something like this next year. I think I like Noah Williams, Bonton, and one of our recruits. I don't remember his name. You'll talk about him in a minute. Playing point guard. Then we have DJ Rodman also playing. Is the power forward? Yeah. I think he's such a good defensive player. You need him on there. And then our big center, I believe his name is TJ Mbamba. <laughs> F.A. Abagadi. Oh, F.A. Is there another guy named TJ? Um, There might be. Okay. so I, I think okay. there is. So I think he's the lowest down on the recruiting list, though. Okay. So I would like F.A. as our center because he's 6'10", and we just need a real center who can scare players. Yeah. So, I've, also, I've also heard he's crazy athletic, too. All right, so 
Let's talk about the players we recruited, and Ian's going to break down how he sees them impacting the team. So, Ian, take it away. Yeah, I did some research on this. So, first we have F.A. Abogidi. He's from the NBA Global Academy, I believe. He's the 6'10 center. He's the big guy. I've watched some of his highlights. He's a he's a team that be a traditional center, super athletic. It says he has a 7'4", 7'5", wingspan. So, Really big, really long, and I've seen him. I've seen him. He can protect the rim, and he can score inside. So I said, I think he's. I don't know if he'll start immediately, but I said he'll play minutes and make an impact at the center spot immediately. So, do you see him replacing Jeff Pollard? Like, how do you see him? How do you think? How do you see Jeff Pollard's role being filled by any of these guys? Um, I think partially. I just don't think. I'm not sure. He's, I don't think he's going to start right away as a freshman. But I think he's definitely going to be playing a good amount of minutes. So if he's not going to start, who do you think would start over him? That's the question I don't know. Mark Avetsky, Koontz. Well, yeah, Koontz that was. Really... I, I like Koontz, but I, just, I don't like him as a center. Right. He's just you have he's to. Too, have... He's too skinny and he, and he can shoot. So yes, I think Koontz is more of a forward to me. That's what they were playing him when he was starting at the beginning of the year. They started him with Pollard. So you're saying Koontz has to have a pairing partner to succeed. I just don't think he's a center. Okay. I just think he's a power forward. So if we have no center on the roster, I think F.A. will start, just probably won't play as many minutes. Yeah, I could see that. I could see him like 20, 25 minutes a game, maybe 25. That's pretty big for a freshman. Yeah, it is, but I mean, it also could be like a— he could split the minutes with Mardovetsky too. I could see that. It, it really depends, I think, how Mardovetsky develops. If he comes back next year way better, maybe he'll get the starting role. So— the rotation for big men is exclusively based on how speculation, obviously, how Markovetsky develops. Not exclusively, but I mean, it's going to impact it. Now, how do you see the? Uh, where do you see the new recruits coming into? Like, break them down. Oh, the the guy I'm really excited about is Jefferson Kulabali. This guy is the leading scorer in the entire country of Canada. For real? The yes, entire the country. entire country. He's averaging like 30 points per game. I did research a couple weeks ago in January. He dropped 47 points in a game. Wow. And there have been 47. some good Canada, Canadian players. Yes. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, uh, RJ Barrett. Yeah. And the Canada's producing some good players. And 47 points in a high school game is really impressive to me. I looked at I looked at his stats. He's a full 6'3". So he could play point guard or shooting guard. He can drive. He's athletic. And he, his, his average is this season, 29.2 points a game, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists. That, that's very good numbers for a high school player. I'm surprised he isn't, doesn't, isn't a three-star recruit at least. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give you some examples of Canadian players. And I would like your opinion to see if he compares based on the small amount of game tape you've watched. We have RJ Barrett. Uh, RJ Barrett, Andrew Wiggins. I know these aren't exact player comps. Like there aren't there aren't many point guards from Canada, but I could see him playing. Brandon Clark. Do you think he plays like Brandon Clark? Or they? I mean, Brandon Clark's kind of more of a big man. Okay, I didn't know that, but thank you for making me look like an idiot on my own show. Ian <laughs> won't be asking you to come back. No, I'm kidding. Thanks, you suck. Ah. Uh, all right, so that was a pointless question. Don't know why I asked that. That was I'm sorry. That was a weird question. Do you see him starting? I'm not sure because we don't usually start freshmen right away, right? Noah started, what, game 15 maybe? 
I see him starting, man. That guy's so electric. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, I think he'll definitely start by the end of the season. I just don't know if he'll start game one. Also, if you look at our team, it is a guard-heavy team. Because next year we're going to have Noah Williams. We'll have Bonton. We'll have the new recruit. We'll still have Sheed, right? She, well, Sheed is coming off of a major injury. He is, but he, he I liked him a lot. He'll he was have our, the whole season. He was, our, he was the only pure facilitator, I feel like. Gervais is going to be gone, but there's I could see five guards that could be in the rotation right there. So, so then would you say because we're losing our top defensive guard? Would you say we become more of an offensive dominant player team? Possibly, but I mean, that's just it's tough to say, man. I'm not, I don't think Noah's super offensive minded too. You don't? No, I think he's kind of a two way guy. So you think he's like DJ Rodman, who just play, who just gets minutes, and when he gets on the court, he does whatever he can to impact the game. I don't know about that. I just think he's a two way player. I just wouldn't say he's an offensive or defensive player. Okay, so thank you for the commentary. We're going to transition into baseball, but I would like to have you back on to talk about Tom Brady and some other NFL news. Would All you be right. okay with that? Yep. All right, thank you so much, Ian. Better talk about Brady. All right, let's talk about the baseball season. The last two games, fantastic. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the Cougars started have started to right the ship in baseball. They started the beginning of the season very badly. Not what we expected. The they lost to Cal State Bakersfield in two games, and then Cal State Northridge. So not any bit baseball powerhouses. I don't think many notable MLB players have come from those schools. But they played well against Hawaii. The alma mater of our new acquired football head coach. Nick Rolovich, who is actually from my hometown of... He played high school right next to my school, but he's from Novato High School, my dad's hometown. He's from Novato, not Novato High School. Sorry. But once we got on the... We've been on the road for the first month. We... I'm sorry. Let me gather my thoughts. Okay. So we played well against Hawaii. Our pitching staff played well. We started getting hits. We weren't getting hits. And our pitching staff stepped up. We were able to win a game or two. In, we won a game in Hawaii. We lost the season series. So we, we we lost the first two series and the one game against Northridge. So that wasn't great. But once we got to neutral ground, we went to Peoria, Arizona to play Rutgers. The powerhouse of New Jersey, Rutgers. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. I mean, Rutgers, they have... No one. I don't know anyone who's come out of Rutgers besides Shamari Alexander, the guy from a documentary I watched in sports class, who is playing in the Arena Football League. I could be totally wrong. There are some probably some notable Rutgers alumni, but I don't know any off the top of my head. I'm going to take a quick look and see if we have any notable Rutgers alumni, but there aren't many. But they are still a D1 Cool. School. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen anything pop up on Rutgers alumni. They're really not popping up. Oh, let's check out their fencing. Oh, they have a big fencing team. Football? Yeah. they Their most recent football player uh, is Kenny Britt from... There's a wide receiver who is out of the league. Their most recent... Basketball player 
is no one. Oh, it's it's the Cavaliers, the bald guy, um, Deontay Jones. I that's a shock to me. I'm sorry. Let's get back on topic. Rutgers, they don't. Let's see if they produce anyone from baseball. They have not produced anyone from baseball. So let's not get scared by Rutgers, which we didn't. We beat them in dominating fashion the first game 9-1, second game 10-3. Then we lost the second game, the third game, but we won a series. Like, I'm very excited we won a series. The last the last year we didn't win series. I don't we might have won one or two series the entire game, the entire season. Do you know how many games are in a baseball season? 52 and to win 11 games that's bad. Now we're seven and six, baby. We have a winning record, and we're more than halfway there to our total win total before Pac-12 play. And a lot of the powerhouse in the Pac-12 have died down. They're not as strong. Oh, I'm sorry. I take it back. There is one notable, one notable player for Rutgers baseball. It's the Todd father, Todd Frazier. So transferring out of Rutgers, we won. Our bats woke up on Thursday against University of Niagara from New York. They made the long haul, long schlep to the Palouse from New York for better weather the first day. It was beautiful baseball weather. It was sunny out, 67 degrees. Oh, takes you back to all those good old days at Oracle Park, T-Mobile Park, Coliseum. Showing where I'm from in that, but uh, it's gorgeous. It was a beautiful day. We had a brilliant pitching performance. First inning, three three runners down, 10 pitches at most. Then bring up Brady Hill, our leadoff man. Okay, don't know much about him. Not batting that well. Ropes a hit in the second field. Next guy. All right, we're starting off great. Boom, hit. All right, draws a walk. All right, base is loaded. We're starting to... We're moving players through, moving down the chain. We get through an entire, we go through the lineup once. Then we get three guys in. We score 12 runs in the first inning. We put up a 12 spot. You don't put up 12 spots against any team. I don't care what level you are. That's embarrassing. We did so well. Then it looked like a dominating win because we won 16 to 7. I don't want to be a negative Nelly. But I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed in our pitching staff. After the second game, after the fourth inning, after I left, they had given up three runs. And it was cold, and it was starting to get really cold. So I left. I had to study for a test because I'm a scholar. Then I, they started giving up runs. They gave up four more runs. Now seven runs. That's not really acceptable. I know you won 16-7, to seven, but you have to look at the bigger picture. You gave up seven runs to a team who couldn't get a hit off for the first four innings. Like something went wrong and that's not good. But then on yesterday, they had a better game. Our really good pitcher Zane Mills was on the hill, rebounded from his down freshman year and threw six decent innings. They weren't great. He only gave up two runs, but he issued five free passes. Now, those runs didn't score, those those base runners didn't score, but it did bring some red flags that none of the pitchers had great control this season. We did, we were down 3-0 until the seventh inning, then 
We had a home run by one of the studs on our team, one of the top batters. Cody Colden, he's batting 500 or something absurd like that. Home run, 3-3. Then we get a big dinger. Another one, 6-3 game. So the baseball season is looking up. They're improving. You know what? I'm going to go out here and say it. We're going to be above 500 at the end of this season, and we're going to push to get into the Pac-12 tournament. It's a hot take, man. If I'm wrong, call me out on it. Mark Tape, 1045. AM, March 7th, 2020, Cougars in the whole thing. We're going to Omaha, baby. Not Oregon State, not Stanford, not UCLA, the Cougars. We're going to Omaha. And that's my spiel after they've won four out of the last five, hopefully six, five out of the last six with a game today that's been postponed. That probably won't happen considering it's snowing right now. I don't know. It's been moved back two hours already. But baby, we're going to Omaha. All right. We're going to transition to some news outside of the NFL. I want to bring back Ian Campbell. I think we're going to talk to Ian about Tom Brady. And then maybe he'll give his opinion about some NFL prospects from the Cougars. Sorry. Let's welcome back Ian. Thanks for coming back, Ian. Yeah, no problem. It's fun. All right. So... You're a Patriots fan, correct? Yes. Why are you a Patriots fan? Born and raised in Boston. I, I like all four teams. Don't really follow the other two, but Celtics and Pats, love them. So you're a Sox fan? I am, but I don't follow baseball. Okay. So you won't ask about Mookie Betts going to the worst team in baseball. Actually, second worst to the Asterisks there. Bunch of dirtbags. But, all right, so let's talk about Tom Brady. I'm going to give you, where do you think he's going to go? Most likely scenario. I think, the, well, I think the most likely scenario is he stays in New England. I know that that's a little biased as a New England fan. I'm not saying that there's a fi- over 50% chance. I'm just saying that is probably the team he's most likely to go to more than any other team. Now, I'm going to lay up three options for you. The Colts, the Niners, and the Patriots. You think the Patriots... I think because I know he keeps everyone keeps saying he wants more money, but how many times has he taken a hometown dis, hometown discount to stay in New England? Because he knows what they can do there. I mean, the man's forty five, but if he stays, forty two. He's is he? I thought he's forty three or forty four. He's gonna he's going to be forty three this season. He's okay, forty two well, now, but he wants to end playing at forty five. Yes. Well, if he stays, they have another shot at a championship. That's just true. Every year, the Patriots are a great team. They they make the Super Bowl pretty much every other year. If he stays, even though he isn't at the level he used to be, he's still an above-average NFL quarterback this season. You, you want to argue he's an above-average quarterback? Do you see the numbers he put up this year? I mean, the numbers aren't, aren't doesn't mean everything. I'm not saying he's great. He's definitely not at the level he used to be at all. But I still think if you look, ranked him 1-32, to 32, he'd be above 16. Fair enough. Okay. I'll bite. I believe that. Yeah. Okay, so... I'm a big proponent of Brady going to the Niners. Of course, the San Francisco man. Okay, not a not a Niners fan. Don't want to get into it. Not big Niners. But what would you say straight up Jimmy Garoppolo for Tom Brady? Length of Jimmy has two more years in his contract and Brady has two more years. Jimmy gets paid a lot. Tom wants 30 mil a year. I think would you do it? I'd honestly take Brady. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is overrated. I know you don't like him either. I just, I really don't think, I think his his team carried him to the Super Bowl this season. I don't think he carried them to the Super Bowl. All right. 
I'm happy to agree with that because I'm about to go off on Jimmy G right now. I, I just don't think he's that great of a quarterback. No, I think he's a definition of a game manager who put up garbage time stats who can't do anything. He, on average, will either put up four touchdowns, two interceptions, or one touchdown, no interceptions. You don't want that from a quarterback. No, those aren't great numbers. You, you would like a quarterback to put up three touchdowns, one interception, no interceptions. Jimmy G, for the first eight games of the year, threw 13 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and then went on that run. But no, he can't play. He's overrated. There's a reason why Bill Belichick traded him. And we all know Brady is not going to have a one-to-one touchdown-interception ratio. No, Brady has about, I'd say, he throws 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. Yeah, it's a much better ratio, and I mean— He's proven to be a great quarterback for the past twenty years. So, and also let's let's get off the Jimmy, the Jimmy G hype train because he barely played in New England. He played at Eastern Illinois. The only notable player to come out of that isn't a player. It, I mean, he was a player temporarily, but it's Sean McVay. He's mostly known for his coaching and his coaching of my friend Jared Goff. I had lunch with him once. No big deal. Ah. Uh, but no, I don't think Jimmy G is that great. I personally think Brady will go to the Niners. His dad, Tom Brady Sr., has said they were 25 year old. They were season ticket holders for the Niners. 25 years. Yes, that's Brady went to high school in, in um, say the San Francisco area. He's Sarah. from there. I know he was a fan growing up, but I don't think that's going to affect his decision because he's probably been in New England for more time than he was in San Francisco. He's, he's, he's set up like... He set up his life there, kind of. He's lived there for two whole decades. He has a great fan base. If he stays in New England, he will retire a legend there. Even if he doesn't stay in New England, he'll retire a legend there. Then what do you say to the people? How do you react? Because he sold his house. He only has a house in L.A. I mean, but no one. people aren't saying he's going to sign with the Rams then. I mean, I've heard some people say the Chargers, but... Yeah, he's obviously not going to the Rams because they put $130 million no. into golf, and that's not a good investment, but... It's easy to buy a house, especially when you're making that much money. It also doesn't hurt that his wife's a billionaire. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're both making eight-figure incomes every year, so. Yeah, no, they're not hurt. They're not short on cash. Okay. So, what do you think? Do you think if it goes to the Patriots, do you think it'll ultimately be because of Robert Kraft? Maybe. I know him and Bill Belichick don't have the tight relationship they used to have. A lot of people think they hate each other. I, I wouldn't go that far, but I don't think it would be because Belichick. I'll say that. You think? I personally think if he's staying in New England, it's because Robert Kraft gave him a blank check and yeah. Brady said, I want 40 mil. And Robert Kraft said, deal. Done. I, know, I know Kraft likes Brady. Kraft and Brady. I mean, you can't, how can you not like Brady as your quarterback? If you're running an organization? Oh, you can't. It's, 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 he's arguably the greatest quarterback. Yeah, it's, of all hard time. Not, it's hard not to. Now, let me ask you this. I know who your top basketball fit, your the number one basketball player is. We're not we're not gonna get onto that yet if we do this show. But top quarterback, obviously Brady. Yeah. No question. I mean what five, six rings? He's six rings. Six rings. He has a great he plays great in the playoffs and he plays great in the regular season. No, five, I'm sorry. Hold on, this is a big two thousand one, I think. He beat Kurt Warner. He's been a three year. in like the past five years. Uh, yeah, no, Tom Brady has to have... I think it's six. I'm almost positive it's six. And it's four or five MVPs. I think the only time he lost MVP was when with Edelman. In the Super Bowl, you're saying? Yeah. 
Yes, he has played in nine Super Bowls and lost three. Six and three is a good record for the Super Bowl. And then, then he's imagine- been consistently like the best quarterback, if not the second best quarterback in the league. For literally two full decades. Yeah, I mean, the only time he really wasn't was because one of the other players, Peyton Manning, was juicing. Yeah, exactly. And Peyton Peyton Manning, yeah, that's... I don't know if you get to be counted as the best quarterback when you're taking steroids all the time. HGH, am I right? Check out the Al Jazeera documentary, The Dark Side, recommended to me by the great talk show host, Ben Maller. But, okay, so... You think he's going to New England... I'm not saying I think he. I think that's the most likely most team. Likely. Yeah, I hope he does. You see, Edelman uh, really wants him to with all the "Stay Tom" 2020 propaganda. Now, let's say Tom doesn't stay in New England. Are you okay with Jaco- uh, Jared Stidham as your quarterback? No, you're not. Uh, I don't. I don't even know who that is, honestly. I mean, I've heard the name, but like, I haven't seen any tape of him. I have no idea if he's ready to take on team. Came into your game like week seven through a pick. He's an Auburn. He's a fourth round draft pick from Auburn. Yeah, that's a no go. Yeah, he's not great. Okay, but would you like if you if I tell you right now Brady's not re-signing? Is there a quarterback in this draft you want them to sign? I mean, I think there's two or three quarterbacks everyone's going after. Like everyone wants uh, who's the quarterback from LSU? Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. Everyone. He's wants, going to the Bengals. Yeah, that's he's, not, he's top three pick guaranteed, pretty much. Right. He's, a lock for number one. Lock He's going to the Bengals. That's a but, non-starter. I mean, the Patriots are a good team, so they're probably not going to have a high pick. Like they're not going to have. I don't. I think is, is the draft out. Uh yeah, they're low. I want to say they're about twenty-five or yeah. twenty-six. They're not going to be a high pick. So, just there's probably already going to be what five five quarterbacks off the board by then. Uh yeah, I would say so. I think they're not going to be a top twenty pick. They're too good of a team, unless they traded for it. Would you would you like the Patriots to trade for a quarterback? Trade up in the draft for a quarterback? I don't know. I'd like them to keep Tom Brady because I think he's still producing, even at 43. So we have the Bengals, number one. They're going Joe Burrow. Yeah. Lions, three. Now, Tua Tungabailoa pulled an Eli Manning and said, I won't play for the Lions if I'm drafted. I mean, so, does he have a choice? I mean, technically, no, but Eli Manning did it where he said I wouldn't play for the Chargers. Right, and then he went to the Giants, the Giants and then the Chargers got Phillip Rivers. Which I'd say they argue me won that deal. Char- Chargers won that deal. But because Brady lost the Super Bowls on flukes. So let's say Tua's gone, Burrow's gone, Herbert's gone. I'll give you a choice. You can have Jordan Love from Utah State, who has a big arm and can run as strong. Plays very similar to Rivers, but is more athletic. Or you could pass on him, get the Georgia quarterback, Jacob Eason, who is more of a game manager. Would you like a game manager or complete project, total risk, Anthony Gordon? (laughs) I'm not a a big proponent of Anthony Gordon. I'm going to go for the first guy. Jordan Love from Utah. Strong arm quarterback, he said. I love strong arm quarterbacks because that shows that he has the skill set. Even if he doesn't have great decision-making skills, if I'm a coach, I'd way rather have a guy that is a great quarterback that doesn't make the best decisions because you can teach him to make good decisions. You can't teach someone to have a strong arm. So you're telling me if he if he's under pressure in college and can't make a tight throw against DB coverage, you're saying he'll be able to make a better decision with accelerated speed, stronger players, and better ones? That's not what I'm saying. I mean, that seems like what you're saying. No, that's not what I'm saying. Really? 
Because he also may have better blocking, too. I don't know how his offensive line was in college. That's a fair point. Good counter. I like that. Okay. Now, the Patriots do have a pretty good offensive line. I mean, we lost uh, Nate Soldier, but still. That was a while ago. Yeah, I know I'm saying, but. All right. I think that's all the Patriots talk we have. But I would like to know your opinion on Anthony Gordon. I, I like Anthony Gordon. He's he clearly, I mean, what did he throw? 600 yards one game, right? Right, but that's the he's, air raid. He's, I think he's a very good quarterback. He's definitely going to be picked up. I'm not saying he's a first rounder or anything. He's definitely going to get drafted. I could see him at some point in his career being a starting quarterback for a team and doing well at it. Do you see him taking the Gardner Minshew approach, six-round draft pick, beating out the $88 million quarterback? I don't think so. Dude, imagine, it'll be funny, if he went to the team where uh, Nick Foles got traded to, then beat out Nick Foles. Yeah, that that'd would be, be such a great story. Pretty crazy to have back-to-back WSU quarterback starting in the NFL, but I don't, I don't think uh, Gordon's a starter as a rookie. You think he's a project? I don't know if I'd say a project. I just don't think he's a starter as a rookie. Okay. Let's talk about the guy we saw in the season. Yeah, where, where would you rank rank Gordon like out of the out of the quarterback draft prospects in the year? Where would I rank him? Let's see. I want to see who's in the draft. I'm not positive. I know the top three. Maybe Let ten. Um, Fits up numbers. Let's look. He, I, he did put up numbers, but I'm always iffy to say that. Based on, uh, he plays on the, he plays in the air raid. That's not. Yeah. But you could say his numbers are kind of padded then. Yeah, you would argue his numbers should be great, but they're it's, not. It's still an accomplishment as a Pac-12 school to throw five, 600 yards in a game. Sure, it is. It is. You can't be a, a poor quarterback and do that. But then what about the people saying, they're six and seven. He couldn't win in college. What was the question? How do you respond to the people saying he couldn't no. win in college? Well, if you follow WSU, the defense is very bad. So I remember I was, I was telling one of my friends about one of the games. And I think it was UCLA. It was like 70 to 65. He said, that's great. That's great. What was the score of the football game? He thought we were talking about basketball. Yeah, it's, that was it's just, it's, it's, they're basically, our games this year are basically just blowouts. Just Anthony Gordon throwing eight touchdowns and then losing because, so I think you have to consider that when you look at his record, that his defense was, was kind of garbage. Okay. So I'm Hopefully lo- it'll be better this year with the, the more balanced coach. So I'm looking at the top 15 draft picks, the top 15 quarterbacks. So the obvious four or five are Tua, Burrow, Herbert, Love, and Eason from Washington, who pisses me off he's that high up there. Not because I'm a Cougar and he's a Husky. No, because he couldn't win. He made bad decisions. He put up bad numbers. They weren't good numbers. You have so many options to throw to. You have a running back. You have a Gaskin. You have every single lanky wide receiver in the entire conference. You get like Jerry Rice's kid was going to go to was going to go to UW, but he didn't. Like you have so many more options and you can't put up any numbers. But back on your question, where do I put Gordon? Where is he ranked? He's right now the seventh ranked quarterback. Okay. That could Um, be a first round pick possibly. He's not though. He's projected fifth. Fifth. To the Falcons. So they're saying that there's only going to be six quarterbacks taken in the first five rounds. No, because there are a bunch of players you could risk. 
I think they pan a lot out. of times quarterbacks are overdrafted, though. So I agree saying. with you 100%. I don't think Herbert's a great NFL player. So I, I could. It wouldn't surprise me if he was taken off the board in round three or four. That'd be great for WSU. It'd look a lot better. I mean, I think he's better than Hertz, who is a running quarterback. Montez, not at all. Cole McDonald from Hawaii, I feel kind of bad for him because he said he was only going to stay if Nick Rolovich stayed. <laughs> and we have Nick Rolovich now. Which I think will be better for us, but... Yeah, no. We can finally use a uh, running back, who I like. Yeah, Borgie. But the, Borgie's a, little, a great running back. I'm bummed out because Nick Rolovich has said that he, Borgie won't be catching as many passes. Yeah, but maybe he can actually run the ball. Yeah, but Borgie's he, so could, good. You could say he's the best player on our team now. Oh, he is, I would say. Especially with Gordon gone. Yeah, I don't know who's better. I mean... We have a bunch of untested quarterbacks. Cam Cooper, Gunnar Cruz, who yep. kind of sucks at bowling. Yeah. We saw him there. Yep. <laughs> really not good. <laughs> I mean, that's coming from me. I'm pretty bad. Yeah, you're not great either. But let's hope he has a stronger arm on the football <laughs> field than he does in the bowling alley. <laughs> let's hope. Because I think I'd beat him in bowling. But If you're listening, Gunnar Cruz, Ian Campbell wants to challenge you to a bowling match. <laughs> he, de- he definitely has the stronger arm. But... but. He is pretty good in the alley. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Gordon's the seventh best quarterback, I would say. No, you know what? Yeah, seventh, because okay. I don't think Herbert's going to be great, but I think he's better than Gordon. So, I think Gordon would actually play well on the Buccaneers. I think Bruce Arians, great de- quarterback developer, developed Andrew Luck. They have tons of good wide receivers, Evans and Godwin. I think that's his best scenario. And then let's talk about Desmond Patton. We saw him at the sushi restaurant. Don't know why I added that, but just giving context, I guess. What do you think of his game? Big wide receiver. He's big. Do you think he'll be able to translate? Do you think his athleticism will translate in the NFL or will he just be slow? I haven't watched enough of his game tape. I mean, I've seen him play. And I know who he is, but I, I I like big receiver targets. That could always mean too. They could play him as a tight end. Possibly is that a possibility for him? Uh I don't think he's big enough. Like I don't think he's enough muscle. Then I could say there's one or two options. If he is between the size, he loses a little bit of weight to play a wide receiver position, or gains a little bit of weight to play a tight end. Is what I could see then. All right, Ian. I know you've been asking this for a while. All right, this is a little off topic, but it'll make Ian happy. And we're going to be roommates next year, so you might as well keep him happy. Ian, what do you want to talk about in this last segment before you go? You said we were doing hot takes in the NBA, right? All right, what's your hottest take in the NBA? I want it scorching, spicy, don't hold back. This is for all the marbles, as hot as my Clemson take was. All right, ready? Ready for it? Let's do it. I'm ready. Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. I'm going for it. Ooh, that's there's, smoldering. There's not been a, a, a point guard or a shooting guard that is, or even a small forward that has won this award in a long time. But man, does he play defense? I saw this. Was, this was at the end of last season, but I'd like to point this out. James Harden, who a lot of people say is the best offensive player in the NBA since Wilt Chamberlain, a lot of people say that. He, really? He he had two. James Harden had two offensive fouls against Marcus Smart in the final seven seconds of the game. Seven seconds, two offensive fouls against him. Is an offensive foul. Explain why is that important. Because Smart was able to like wrap his arms around Harden legally and force him to drive through him. 
and trying to get the ball. So he basically shoved Smart to the ground because of his defense, if that makes sense. His defense is insane. I've seen him lock up everybody. He can lock up Harden. So in my opinion, if you lock up the best offensive player in the league, then why wouldn't that make you the best defensive player? Well, because that's a one-game sample size. No, I've seen it in other games, too. If you look at his, his scoring, Harden doesn't do great against the Celtics because of Marcus Smart. Okay, but that's one team, so what are some other examples? I mean, there's, I, I can't think of any guard in the league he couldn't lock up. He just he won the Hustle Award last year because he just does whatever it takes. He always is getting little injuries, like sprains. He'll take three, four, five charges in the same game. He's physical. He's aggressive. He's just everything you want in a defensive player. Okay. Well, he, he averages about two steals a game, too. He's pretty much like usually top three, four in the league, basically behind like Paul George. Oh, well, how do you do you? He's usually top three or four in the league behind Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Then how do you argue he's better than them if you just admitted he's not? How could he win Defensive Player of the Year? I know it's a I hot think, take, but... No, I'm saying he's a better defensive player. They just have a couple more steals than him. They also play more minutes a game, too. Okay. Because he usually comes off the bench, typically. So what I'm hearing is your comparison to Dervay Robinson to Marcus Smart... Well, I'm going to connect the dots but I here. think Gervais is a worse version of Marcus Smart. Okay, let me connect the dots here. So what you're saying is, I'm hearing Gervais Robinson is going to win defensive player no. in the NBA. No. You heard it here, fo- here folks. No. Ian Campbell, Gervais Robinson, defensive player of the year. Thank you for coming on, Ian. You're putting words in my mouth, bud. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm kidding. Thank you, though, Ian. I much appreciate it. I love the, your comments on Anthony Gordon. Yeah, for sure. And Marcus. Thanks for coming on. See you later. All right. All right. What a great talk with Ian. He offered some insightful, he offered some great insight into the basketball world, the NBA world. I'm not super qualified. I don't follow the NBA as much as he does. I follow baseball a lot more because that's the better sport. So let's transition to the big baseball news. The Brewers, Brew Crew, baby. They go off. They just signed their best player, Christian Yelich, to a Seven-year, $190 million extension from 2022 to 2028. Now, does this signing make sense? Arguably, yes, because Christian Yelich is on one of the younger sides. He's fairly young, so Christian Yelich is, I believe, 29 years old. He is 28 years old. Okay. So by the time this deal comes into effect, he will be 30. So in baseball or in any sport, your athletic prime is believed to be 28 to 33, 34. So for the first half of this year, they'll be getting first half of this contract. They'll get a very productive Christian Yelich. 40 home runs. Easy. Then the next couple years, two or three, it's going to have a decline. But I think this is a good signing. You have to lock him up. You don't want him going to another team. He's the face of your franchise now. Arguably one of the best players because Ryan Braun is a P. He was found guilty of PEDs. He was accused. He was suspended for a year. So his legacy is kind of tarnished. So yeah, I'm I'm not going to fault the Brewers for signing this extension. It's like the Mike Trout scenario. You had to sign him. You don't. You look like idiots. You will be paying a lot of money on the back end for not the great, the best 
production. But, I mean, the guy puts up crazy numbers. He doesn't... He puts up 40 home runs. Once he got traded from the cesspool that Derek Jeter has created, the Marlins, his game improved phenomenally. So, he's been in Milwaukee for the last three years. Since he got to Milwaukee, he's put up 36 home runs, 44 home runs. And this year, he had a shortened sample sample season because he was injured. And he's not just a power hitter. He's batting in the 300s. So yeah, with age, that's better because his power might decrease, but his average will still be there. So let's say his average drops 40 points in his last year. He's still a 280 batting average. So yeah, I think this is a great deal. Personally, because once his contract starts getting expensive, the big money comes off the books. Ryan Braun and Lorenzo Kane, their top outfielders, and their rejected catcher who can't play anymore. So yeah, he's a great deal. Great signing. Can't fault him for that. The Brewers for that. And what's interesting is by the time their big studs come off the their next free agents really Kestian Shuria, the second baseman who they traded for. Oh, I wish the Giants had him, man. That guy's so good. He would have well we have Marsh Mauricio Dubon, so that's fine. Uh, Keshin Hader Heston will be coming will be getting paid he'll demand an extension but based on the Brewers previous history they'll offer him a 50 probably a 50 million dollar extension two years from now he'll take it to save him money but then Josh Hader arguably the best reliever in all of baseball he throws on average 99 his fastball hits 103 that man is dirty. He dots up the corners. He strikes everyone out. Top 10 reliever. They're not going to be free agents until 2025, 2023. So you can afford both of them, which is great. So I'm not going to fault any of them. The Brewers had a great deal. They played. You have to sign Christian Yelich. He's an MVP, silver slugger, gold glove defender as well. So, you know, it was a great deal. They had to sign him. It was face of your franchise. It's going to end up being a bad contract in the end, but that's every major player. That's Bryce Harper. That's Manny Machado. Well, the Manny Machado deal is a bad deal to start with. He's a subpar player. Okay, that's subpar. He doesn't try. He puts up points. But yeah, it's not a good deal. So good job, Brewers. You signed the face of your franchise. Arguably the best player to come out of the Brewers in a while. Good job. You made Derek Jeter look like an idiot, which honestly isn't hard to do nowadays. So I'm going to just take a quick look at the sporting news and see if there's anything else big that just popped up right now. Let's take a look. Anything else big coming up? The only thing that's really come up in recent news is the the Japanese baseball league is considering suspending their season because of the coronavirus, which is safe. You don't want to get anyone sick. Better be safe than sorry. Oh, big news that just came out of the NBA right now. Uh, let me go message. Ian is still in the studio, so I feel like he needs to talk about this right now. Kenny Atkinson 
The Nets coach gone. <laughs> Ian Campbell, what do you think of this move? I don't know. I mean, I don't follow the Nets super closely. I would like to say thank you for taking away the, our locker room cancer, Kyrie Irving. Worst decision we ever made was trading him for Isaiah Thomas. Thank you for getting rid of it. Thank you for taking him off our hands. But I mean, it honestly isn't super surprising to me because the Nets haven't been having a great year. They're like in and out of the eight seed. So, but is it unfair to Atkins, who doesn't get to coach Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving? I mean, he's had Kyrie for a good amount of the season. But he didn't get to coach them together. So. I, I Personally, I probably would have given him to the end of the year, but it's it's I w- I, I'm kind of mixed about that because I'd say it's not unfair, but also I don't know if I personally would have done it. They're the seventh seed right now. Seventh seed right now? Yeah, currently. Personally, I probably would have kept him for the rest of the year, see how he did then. But All right. I think there's not much on that. It's a developing story. I mean, Kenny Atkins was it? I didn't mind him. I thought he was a decent coach. I mean, he got the Nets to the playoffs last year when they weren't supposed to. So I think it's a respectable move. It's fine. All right. That's all we're going to talk about today. Go Cougs. Remember, onwards and upwards, shoot your shot. It's all you got. Go Cougs. Thanks. We're going to kill the Pac-12 tournament, baby. All right. Thank you, Ian. Listen, I love Walker, but he looked like he was 18 or 19. He looked like a young guy. Man, you should have done this guy right. What, I get him a stripper? What do you want me to do here? I get him a prostitute? What do you 